I'm back, baby. It's Sam's Sports Podcast. Get your seatbelt ready. Get your popcorn ready. It's on. I'm back on the mic. It's been way too long. Last uh, show I did was this past Sunday, Easter Sunday. Today is Friday, April 1st, 2016. April Fools. You know, I was just talking about April Fools with my wife yesterday. It's kind of a blah holiday. Like, you're not getting a day off. I mean, it's not really as cool as St. Patrick's Day or um, Valentine's Day. It's also the same caliber where it's kind of like a holiday, but it's not really a holiday. And it also is a holiday. It's a holiday where you celebrate sort of pulling pranks on people and making fun of other people. Anyway, I don't want to focus on April Fool's Day. That's not really what I care about. I care about sports. I wanted to talk about some NBA drama today. I've been reading about so much NBA drama, and I haven't been on the mic for a while. I got to get back on the mic, and I have to talk about some of this. It's just ridiculous when I keep reading about it. So, I was reading about the first drama I want to mention is the Lakers. So, Kobe is doing this farewell tour with the Los Angeles Lakers. For those of you who haven't read, some news has come out, not about Kobe, but about two other players on the team. More specifically, the second overall pick in last year's draft, D'Angelo Russell, having a little bit of a beef with Nick Young. Or, well, I don't know if it's a beef, but there's a trust issue. Here's what came out on ESPN and the media circuits. Let me just throw the drama out to you. You can think about it, see what you think. I think it's ridiculous. Or, it's ridiculous, it's it's crazy when you think about it. So, apparently, a video, there's a video that D'Angelo Russell is recording a video on his, like, phone or his mobile device of he... And his teammate, Nick Young, who, if those of you guys don't know Nick Young, he's the guy who dates Iggy Azalea, who had that, you know, she's that rapper from Australia. She's got, you know, I'm so fancy, you already know. That, that's, that's Iggy's track, you know. I play this, I do this, I want that, you knew this. You, you, you get it. Anyway, I don't need to rap the whole track for you. So Nick Young and Iggy, they're like a, they're like a thing. Nick Young has always kind of been this explosive scorer for the Lakers, played for the Sixers. He's bounced around. But point is, D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young are having a discussion, and D'Angelo Russell's recording the conversation on his phone, but he doesn't tell Nick Young that he's recording the conversation on his phone. And pretty much the conversation is the two of them talking about women, specifically which women Nick Young has slept with. So essentially, he's recording a conversation where he is outwardly proclaiming that he's been sleeping around and cheating on his girlfriend, who, by the way, the two of them announced their engagement last year. So he gets this videotape of Nick Young being like, yeah, I screwed her. Or, or actually, I, I, he's like, what about her? And he's like, nah, she knows Iggy. I'm not going to go after her because she might tell Iggy about us. And then at the end of it, D'Angelo Russell's like, yeah, man, I'm glad you uh, got all of that onto my uh, videotape recording here. And Nick Young goes, huh? And then the video just cuts out. So somehow this video gets leaked. Somehow it gets on Twitter. It gets out into social media. Everybody starts reading about it. And what we find out is pretty much the team learns about it, and they start turning on D'Angelo Russell with this big trust issue. Apparently, he's eating you know, lunch with everybody, and people are getting up and moving away from his table. He goes into the locker room and sits down. People gravitate away from him. And they are also saying that the other night when the Lakers went to Utah and lost by 48 points which was a franchise record uh, for a biggest loss by the Los Angeles Lakers. They're saying a big reason for this was some of the toxicity and dysfunction in the locker room having to do with this trust issue with D'Angelo Russell leaking this video to the 
to social media. I don't know how it got out. Maybe he sent it to a buddy of his. Maybe I don't know what happened, but the point is it got out. Now the whole team is kind of turning on him. And it just makes me think about this kid is 19 years old. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how dumb can you get? It just reiterates how young these players are. I'm a 33-year-old man. I've made some mistakes in my life. I've made some dumb decisions. But when you get older, you don't see it when you're younger. I remember being 18. I remember being 22. I remember being 25 and thinking I knew everything. It's only when I get to my 30s that I'm able to look back and be like, damn, those are kids. They are children making dumb decisions. For the most part, they make good decisions, but there's also a lot of dumb decisions. And D'Angelo Russell, for all of his money, for all of the salary, for all of the high draft picks, for all of the, the whatever, you're still a 19-year-old kid. And you're making mistakes like any other 19-year-old kid and realizing the backlash that comes with that. And you know what? You're playing with a bunch of professional basketball players, and I think you're learning real fast that uh, you can't be joking around with stuff like that. Like, hey, I think the quote that came out is that this he said it was a prank gone wrong. I don't care what you say. You don't need to be doing that prank. Why are you expending any energy on that? Where in your brain is it going, <laughs> this is going to be a really funny joke? It's like, dude, what are you doing? Just get back to work. Quit being a dumb kid. Keep shooting free throws. You know, keep practicing. Pull a Kobe. Go go to the gym all night and shoot, you know, until until your heart's content. Improve your game. Don't be going around social media stuffing. I mean, you want an example of how that can blow up in your face? Just look at Johnny Manziel, okay? That's something that absolutely blew up in his face. He's trying to figure out how to continue to stay in sports right now after he's like, oh, you know what I'm going to do on my on my bye week? I'm going to go to Austin, Texas and, you know, go hang out in the club and pop some Chris. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? That's the stupidest decision I've ever heard. I just, these guys, some of them are idiots. Anyway, so the Lakers, in addition to having one of the worst records in the league, now have a whole lot of locker room drama. Hopefully, D'Angelo Russell can overcome this. I think time heals all wounds. As more time passes, people will forget. But right now, it's looking pretty bad. And, you know, I think the current players on the roster are certainly not going to forget this incident anytime soon. Moving into uh, more NBA drama. So, been reading about um, the Oklahoma City Thunder and Reggie Jackson. Now, it was not entirely uh, hidden to the press and the media and the public last year, but Reggie Jackson essentially had a falling out with the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise and the players on that team. Reggie Jackson really felt that he should be starting on that Thunder team. And with Durant and Westbrook, there was a sense that he really wasn't getting the amount of playing time that he wanted. Uh, and so he, particularly last season, really was causing some stir because he really wanted to play. And I think there started to be a division in the locker room regarding Reggie Jackson and the whole team, uh, which essentially culminated in he demanding a trade from the Thunder, which he ended up getting. That was the three-team deal where he got sent to the Detroit Pistons. Now, I say this because just the other night, the Pistons and the Oklahoma City Thunder played each other. Now, mind you, the Pistons won the game 88-82, to and when the Pistons won, Reggie Jackson made quite a scene out of it. He was marching all over the court. He was looking at the, the Thunder bench. He was shouting at the crowd. He was making a real scene about the fact that they had just defeated his former team. Now, a couple things to mention in this particular game. Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka both sat down and rested, so neither of them were playing. So you know, it kind of gives you this feeling like maybe they wouldn't have lost the game if Durant was actually playing. However, 
The point was the drama came from after the game when Reggie Jackson was then making such a scene and making this, this big showboating. He's all over the court. He's applauding. He's kind of pointing. He's doing a whole thing. You know, all the Thunder players were really like, that wasn't classy. We don't like him. That's not cool, blah, blah, blah. But it really, really showed the... The, the beef that is there between that Thunder team and Reggie Jackson. And I learned more, uh, you know, some of these ESPN insiders, they're really fantastic. They work hard. I, I mean, someday maybe I can have a job like that. I'd be very into doing something like that. Uh, but uh, they talk about how last year at the start of the season, you're going into the season. Russell Westbrook is still recovering from, I think he had that broken wrist or that broken hand. So the start of last season, if anybody remembers it, the Oklahoma City Thunder missed the playoffs last year. Uh, and specifically started the season with Westbrook and Kevin Durant both injured. So Durant was still recovering from the foot injury. He ended up coming back, having to go back for another injury. But the start of the season, neither of them were playing. So there was a real sense of, listen, Reggie Jackson, you got to take some of these starting minutes. Now, as I learned from this ESPN insider, the first two games of last season, Reggie Jackson was still recovering from his own injury. So all three of the players were unavailable. Now at game three, he was cleared to play, but he decided that he didn't want to play. And Reggie Jackson opted to not play in that particular game because there was a sense of he wanted to have a starting role. He wanted to play more meaningful minutes. And when he didn't get that, he wanted to be traded. And he was so upset about not being traded that he decided not to play in that game. So already you're seeing this division, this sort of stick that's dividing apart um, Jackson from the rest of the team. It ended up really becoming so toxic that it culminated in the trade deadline last year. Oklahoma City Thunder traded him to the Detroit Pistons. That's where they got Ennis Cantor, the big uh, big uh, European center from uh, uh, the Utah Jazz, who also was in his own uh, uncomfortable position with the Utah Jazz. Ennis Cantor had really been in a position where he felt he was not jiving with the Utah organization. They weren't grooming him as much and that his development had uh, stunted. So in some ways, you know, this this discomfort and this trade demand kind of helped both players. It brought Cantor to the Thunder. I think he's more comfortable. Ennis Cantor is definitely more comfortable with the Thunder franchise, working better on that team than he did with the Utah Jazz. And to his credit, I think Reggie Jackson's more comfortable with the Detroit franchise. And he's working better on the Detroit team. He's more of a player. He's, a, he's getting starters minutes. He got good money. I mean, in the end, it really worked out for all the parties involved. I think it was probably the best decision any of them could have made. Now, to shift to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which are <laughs> always full of drama. So, you know, nothing specific with their drama right now, except for the fact that it's just ongoing. And really, they're still in first place. I, I still am predicting that the Toronto Raptors will catch them. It's getting close. They're getting to the end of the season. I think there's, uh, the Cavaliers are still ahead of the Raptors by at least two games. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be close, but I, you know, I got a little faith in the Raptors. I still think they can pull it out and probably give Cleveland a run for their money. However, LeBron is the one who still seems to fuel all this drama. So, you know, just the other night he rested, he actually took a night off and bump it a bum. The Cavaliers lost the game. He then comes back against the Brooklyn Nets. He puts up a, tri uh, he didn't put up a triple double, but they won the game. I think he put up a triple double against the Knicks the other night. I gotta, I'll find out exactly when he put that triple double up, but, uh, He's still playing hard. However, all of the problems that they still have had are there. Does Kevin Love, how is the best way for him to fit in? Kyrie Irving, you know, does he dominate the ball a little too much? Is Shumpert and Tristan Thompson, and, you know, are these guys really filling it out? Like, 
they're still the best team in the Eastern Conference, but I'm still wondering, do they have anything that it takes to actually beat anyone in the Western Conference? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I still think the, the series to watch is going to be the Warriors and the Spurs. I mean, that's really the series that everyone's going to want to see. That's the NBA Finals, if you ask me. The Cavaliers are, you know, maybe I should give them a little bit more credit. I think as much as we want to knock the Cavaliers and what they're doing and how they're great, we can't deny the fact that LeBron James, though the era of LeBron is is starting to go into its downward cycle, you know, I think about humanities class from like ninth grade high school and how an empire has like four stages. There's stage one where you know, the empire gets formed and there's stage two where it's doing great and there's stage three, which is the golden age or, and, or no, stage two is the golden age, stage three is the decline, stage four is collapse. And it's like right now, I think we're at the pinnacle of LeBron. The decline hasn't happened, but we're about to get there because listen, we can't deny that he is still one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league. We can't deny that he has now gone to what is it, five straight NBA Finals appearances? Now, he's only won two of them, uh, but he's gone to them every single year. Like, who else in the league can drag a crappy team to the Finals all by himself? I, I, you know, some of these other players show that they have shots or abilities or possibilities to do it, but I mean, who else has been able to really do it on such a consistent basis as LeBron James? And he does it, and he does it well. And, you know, you can say all you want about dominating the ball, but LeBron is a guy who has learned, you know, for all of his ego and his personality, he understands the importance of teammates. He understands the importance of getting them to fit in and work together. He might not be the best at it, but it was early on in his career when his teams weren't making the playoffs that he saw exactly what it meant to put up great numbers and not win games. He's a smart enough guy now that he at least understands how to involve the other people on his team to get the team to the finals. And the tricky part is that, is Teron Liu really going to still be that coach? Is he the guy who's going to be able to make coaching changes to, to you know, phase or, or, or dupe Steve Kerr in an NBA finals. I don't know if Teron Lue is there. Um, you know, LeBron is as much as he doesn't want to create drama, you know, he's still doing stuff on social media. He says, all right, I've gotten to my playoff push where he says, I'm not going to go to social media. I'm not going to look at anything. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to indulge in any of this stuff. I mean, it's almost like he's just pressing the people further to try to watch him and follow him and track him even more. It's just, it's never-ending with him. And listen, when you're the greatest player in the league, as exciting as Steph Curry is right now, LeBron James is still the king of the mountain. And, I mean, he's King James. It's it's the long and the short of it. And when you're King James, when you're the king of the mountain, you get everything that comes with it. You get the positive feedback, and you get the negative feedback. You get the people who love you. You get the people who hate you. And I'm going to use this opportunity. Now, I'm talking about LeBron James still stay in the drama category because I've been talking about some of the abilities of these teams, but I've been focusing a little bit more on drama today. A um, little bit more of the drama. So if you may have seen uh, um, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss uh, Sherwood wrote this great article on ESPN recently. You may have seen it. You may have read it. I'm going to recount some of it to you. I read it. It's a pretty good article. Discusses how Nike lost Steph Curry as a uh, you know you know as a sponsorship deal, they had Steph Curry. They essentially offered him another contract, and uh, he didn't like it. He balked. He went to Under Armour, and now Under Armour's shoe deal with him is gigantic, and Under Armour's sales are going through the roof. 
I mention this because it does discuss the drama, which is the topic of my podcast for today. However, it was also eye-opening, something I knew already, but it was more eye-opening for this article to illustrate that the most money that these players make is not being paid by the team they play for, but it's being paid by the shoe company that they're signed with, okay? LeBron James has a lifetime deal with Nike. He has something like a $500 million deal with Nike. Doesn't matter where he plays. It doesn't matter what team he's on. That's the deal he has with Nike. When he's retired and he can't play basketball anymore, Nike is going to continue to pay him. So it really begged the question, who's LeBron James's boss? Is it the Cleveland Cavaliers or is it Nike? And I think it's Nike. And what I'm grasping is that these shoe companies, they don't make hundreds of millions of dollars on these shoes. They make billions of dollars on these shoes. So Nike losing out on Steph Curry is a major deal. That's even bigger than a team whiffing on a draft pick, okay? Because you're not just losing, you know, some wins and some victories and maybe some profit sharing. You're losing billions of dollars in profit because he went to Under Armour. And now, Under Armour sales over the last three years have increased something like 350% because they scooped up Steph Curry. And this article really articulates it really well. You ask LeBron James about a game, you ask LeBron James about a player, but when you ask LeBron James about Under Armour, his response was, huh, who's that? They're like, Under Armour, who's that? And he goes, oh no, I don't know what you're talking about, all I know is Nike for life. Because these beef, this drama, this sort of like, you know, showmanship between Nike and Under Armour and these other shoe, and also these players. Because then you need to think about the fact that these players are remembering Michael Jordan. Let's just also remember the fact that Michael Jordan comes up in this article as well. Michael Jordan and his Air Jordan shoes are monstrous. This is a huge, huge money-making subsidiary of Nike. And everyone remembers that Michael Jordan was the face of Nike at that time, and in some degree, still kind of is. And so the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant, the Kevin Durant, They want to be the face. They want to be the guy who, they want to hold the position. They want to have the crown that Michael Jordan had when he was at the the top of his game with Nike. They want to have that job as well. So this is a big deal to these players. And as I said before, this company is going to be with them for a very long time. The article also mentioned Michael Jordan in 2014, this is two years ago, Michael Jordan made $100 million through his Air Jordan brand because he still owns the Air Jordan brand. In one year, he made $100 million through shoe sales. He made $93 million over the entire basketball playing career that he had, okay? His entire basketball career, the most money he made from basketball teams for playing basketball was $93 million through his entire career. In one single year from shoe sales, he makes $100 million. Does this start to give you a sense of how much money is involved with these shoe deals and how important it is to be a sponsor and to be signed with Nike? Now, now that I say all this and you hear all this drama, okay, let's talk about how Nike screwed up the sales pitch to Steph Curry. So, at the time... Uh, Nike comes up with a sales pitch. It's, they've had Steph Curry. And now we all, we're forgetting a little bit right now that Steph Curry is the MVP 
probably one of the greatest players in the league. He's definitely, you know, shocking uh, everybody with his ability to shoot from such a, uh, a such a long distance. Um, and uh, you know, we're we're kind of being overblown by this, but we're forgetting that it was not too long ago that he was an injury concern. He was a smaller player. He was not as a uh, you know as as physical. He's athletic, but he's not a big strong guy. He's a smaller guy. He's a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Okay, and he's a shooter. He's not going to the hoop. And, and getting, you know, crashing to the hoop like Dwayne Wade or Allen Iverson from 10 years ago, okay? He's a savvier finesse guy who will get you to the hoop with a nice little teardrop, who will shoot the ball from 30 feet. So we're forgetting that it was only three, four seasons ago that he had ankle issues. He had injury issues. And actually, if you look at his salary, he's making less money than Andrew Bogut and Clay Thompson because they signed him to a deal which was a speculative deal. It was a deal saying, you know what? We don't know if your ankles are really going to be as healthy as you believe they're going to be, so we're only going to give you this much money. And because of that, he's still kind of on a sort of an underrated contract right now. And it's a it's amazing when you think about it that he's still making less money than some of his teammates, but that's the nature of what's going on. So with that preface of a couple of years ago when Nike had to re-sign Steph Curry, they already had him, they had to re-sign him, Steph Curry was not at the pinnacle of his career. So there's still this belief that, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not the bomb diggity at this point. So Nike comes back to pitch him. And at this time, you know, and, and in the article, they talk a lot with Steph Curry's father. For those of you who don't know, Del Curry is a former NBA player himself, uh, definitely knows a thing or two about these these contracts and these deals. He knows how the game works. So they come in to pitch this deal for Steph Curry. Now, one of the things that Nike offers is they offer this training camp. They say, listen, we're going to give you a training camp. We're going to give you a camp where you can have kids come. It's going to be like a camp. They get to come. They get to train with you. It's going to be super awesome. Now, you know, this isn't as big a deal for Nike, and they say this in the article, but it's a big deal for these players. These players take a lot of pride in having a camp where they get to connect with young superstars, and specifically, he says this in the article, Steph Curry did this. Steph Curry had a camp with Chris Paul. He went to Chris Paul's camp when he was younger. He meets Chris Paul. He works with Chris Paul. He has that like warm you know, 10-year-old connection to a superstar, so... Steph Curry wanted one of these camps. He goes into this Nike meeting and he really wants one. And what you're finding out is that Nike was going to give one of these camps to Kyrie Irving. Nike's going to give one of these camps to uh, Anthony Davis on the Pelicans. But they're not giving one to Steph Curry. They said, ah, he's not really worth it. They didn't really beef up the thing. Then they go into the pitch. One of the first things they mentioned in the article is that in the pitch to Steph Curry, the pitch man mispronounces his name. He doesn't say Stephen Curry or Steph. He says Stefan, specifically Stefan, just like the Steve Urkel alter ego. He calls him Stefan. And now here's the tricky part. Uh, the dad, Del Curry, says to the Ethan Sherwood Strauss in the article, he says, listen, I've heard people mispronounce Steph's name before. It happens. The shocking thing is that throughout the entire pitch, the guy never corrected himself. He continued to call him Stefan throughout the entire pitch. He says, now listen, Stefan, when you sign with Nike, Stefan, you're going to be the best thing around, Stefan. It's like, what? Do you really not know my name? What the hell are you doing over there? To go a step further, they had a PowerPoint presentation ready. They start going through the PowerPoint presentation, and one of the slides comes up, and it has Kevin Durant's name on it because the asshole didn't really get his shit together and actually realized that he needed to take the name out. And he had Kevin Durant's name on an old slideshow. It's like, dude, Bush League, 
Bush League, not even prepared whatsoever. So it really articulates to you the fact that Nike dropped the ball on this one. Under Armour swooped in and scooped him up like it was nothing because they're like, well, yeah, we're we're happy to get one of these guys. We're happy to get you know a, a superstar like that. I think Under Armour had a little bit of foresight. I don't think they had any idea how big Steph Curry was going to be, but either way, they scooped him up, they took him, and now Under Armour's numbers are skyrocketing, man. The profit is out of control. And the last thing I want to mention about this is with these Nike shoe sponsorship people, there is a feeling that they want the player to kind of be like a Michael Jordan, a little bit of a larger-than-life, this bigger huger, larger LeBron James, this six foot eight, you know, this Kobe Bryant, this six six, these two hundred some odd pound guys. And what's interesting is that Nike, I think, gravitated a little away from Steph Curry because he wasn't that, because he's not six foot eight, because he's not two hundred and sixty, because he is a six foot two, three, you know, shooting guard who's kind of a smaller frame. That wasn't the look that Nike was going for. The funny part is that those are the reasons why Steph Curry is famous now. I mean, the biggest reason why people relate to him now is it's like, listen, do you want can you relate to a six foot nine, two hundred and seventy-five pound power forward like LeBron James? Or can you relate to a six foot three, two hundred and thirty pound shooting guard like Steph Curry? A guy who's probably a little taller than you, probably fits in with your friends, looks just like the guy who's hanging out with everybody else. Like He's your relatable guy. He's your popular superstar who you can connect with. And Under Armour was happy to take that. But in some ways, that's not Nike's picture. They don't want that image. So you get yourself into a situation where they end up losing out on one of the most profitable and exciting athletes in the NBA, uh, you know, at least for right now. I think Steph Curry's reign is going to at least go on for another couple of years. I want to say five years. I mean, he's young. He's only going to get better, in my opinion. We definitely have not seen the end of Steph Curry or the, or the highest capacity of Steph Curry. I think as LeBron James's son sets, um, the, it's going to rise on Steph Curry, and he will probably be the reigning sort of uh, – you know, top to king of the mountain uh, for the NBA for the years to come. Uh, but at those that's some, like I said, some of the drama with how they lost Steph Curry. Now, let's stay with Steph Curry. Let's stay with the Warriors. I don't know if there's been a large amount of drama with the Warriors, aside from the fact that they're just winning these games. These games that, you know, people kept talking about, could they break this Bulls 72-win record? I think they could. Or, uh, and, and I think they can. Um, I thought it from the very beginning. I mean, just the rate that they were winning games was mind-boggling to me. And I think everybody wants to sort of put it like a gimme, like, oh, yeah, they'll totally do it. But when, you know, a month ago when you're sitting there going, you know, they've got to win something like 25 of their last 29 games to break this record. When you think about it in that context, you're like, you know, this could be pretty darn tough. This is actually... This is a little bit more ridiculous than it sounds, and it's a little bit more impossible than at first it seems. However, they kept winning games, and then they'd have a few games where they got close to losing, and they would pull it out. And I'm going to mention this specifically because the other night when they pulled out this game against the Utah Jazz. So they go to Utah. They're on the road. They're playing Utah. Utah puts up a hell of a show, really goes out there, gives them a run for their money, and Utah takes a pretty decent lead in the fourth quarter until Clay Thompson started stroking the three, baby. He hit a couple of three-pointers, got him back within striking distance, and then in typical Golden State Warriors, I don't know how the hell they figure out a way to win, but they win fashion. 
They end up going down there with 15 seconds left. Clay Thompson jacks a three. He misses the shot. Draymond Green gets the rebound, sends it right back out to him. Clay, Jack, uh, Clay Thompson shoots another three. He makes it. They tie the game. They go to overtime, and they end up dominating in overtime. They pull out another win. I mean, it's just amazing. I don't see anybody slowing them down at this point, except with the exception of injuries. Knock on wood. I don't want that to happen to them. Um, I mean, I still don't see anybody even stopping them uh, winning the title. The closest thing I can see is the Spurs. That game against the Spurs in San Antonio, I think you guys remember me and J-Hop uh, came on the show to talk about it. Uh, I mean, that's going to be your biggest challenge because anybody else out there is going to certainly give Golden State a run for their money. It's going to challenge the the game plans and the schemes that they've been using all season like the Spurs did in that game. However, I don't see any of these teams beating them in a seven-game series. You know, can can the Clippers beat them in a seven-game series? You know, the Thunder? The Thunder is probably the closest thing I can think of. The Thunder is the team that's really spooking people, you know? And they are eternally under the radar. This amazing run by the Spurs and the Warriors is just masking how dangerous Kevin Durant and Brian Westbrook are, excuse me, Russell Westbrook are on the Thunder. Brian Westbrook, I always keep thinking of the running back. for the, I always screw that up, the Westbrook, Westbrook. But, I mean, Russell Westbrook is dropping triple dubs like they're going out of style. He's got, he leads the NBA. He's got 16 triple doubles this season. I mean, it's miraculous. And it's just so crazy to think that the Thunder had James Harden as well. So, I like the Thunder. I think they're a team that can spook the Warriors. But in a seven-game series, I'm still picking the Warriors. Um, you know, a seven-game series between the Thunder and the Spurs, I'd have to pick the Spurs. But seven-game series between the Spurs and the Warriors, that's going to be... I mean, that's the best ticket in the house. That's the one I'm going to make sure I clear my schedule to watch. You're going to hear me doing podcasts when it's going on. After every single game, I guarantee I'm going to be doing a podcast and talking about it because there's just going to be plenty of things to talk about. I mean, that's going to be a clash of the titans. And that's also why I think I'm not really too scared of the Cavaliers. I think you might see another Cavaliers-Warriors in the finals again. And I think you'll see the Warriors repeat. Uh, the Cavaliers, in my opinion, have not taken any drastic strides forward that has set them apart and and made them a more dangerous team. I mean, LeBron's a year older. You know, hopefully they can stay healthy with Irving and Love. Uh, I mean, I certainly think they'll be more dangerous if they have them going into the finals, uh, unlike last year when they essentially didn't have Love or Irving. Um, but I'm still just, I'm not confident in their ability to overcome. Whereas the Warriors, I'm extremely confident in their ability to overcome. That seems to be just about all they do is find a way to win and do it in some clashy, classy, like, you know, fantastic fashion. I mean, they are just, I mean, they're a show. It's it's one of the greatest shows on in the league right now. Whew, okay. All right, all right. I've talked, I, I talked, I talked a lot. Talked a lot about the Warriors. Talked a lot about the Spurs. You know what I want to do? I'm going to take a look at some of the other teams in the league I'm just going to look at the standings right now, kind of give you a sense of what I'm thinking of each of these teams. So the Raptors, you know, I'm excited for the Raptors. I think they've had a great season. They're two and a half games behind the Cavaliers. They hit 50 wins. Um, the depth is the thing that scares me about the Raptors. They end their, I think this will be the year they finally get out of the first round. Um, hopefully, if they really get a, a, a some momentum going, they can actually make it to maybe the conference finals. Um, but the depth, because beyond Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, you know, they've got some injuries and then they've got some other guys who kind of fill in the gaps really well, you know, like Valachunas is great, but you know, Damari Carroll has been missing all season. Luis Scola is only so good. James Johnson. I mean, 
only so many things can really make all of these guys work together and and make them you know a dangerous team against Cle- uh, Cleveland. You know, can I keep saying that I think the Toronto Raptors will probably finish with a better record than the Cavaliers? But do you really see the Raptors beating the Cavaliers in a seven game series? I don't know if I see that happening. To go a little deeper on the Eastern Conference and who's actually going to the playoffs, the Hawks are in. Um, the Hawks have been. I don't know what to make of the Hawks this season. I mean, after such an amazing Cinderella run last year, you know, to see them kind of come back down towards the middle of the pack this year, it just gave me some pause as to, like, you know, maybe they need to improve on some of the talent. Paul Millsap is really the guy who's playing fantastic basketball, Al Horford and Dennis Schroeder, but some of the other guys, you know, when are they going to move on from Kyle Korver? Well, actually, Kyle Korver's probably a good piece there, but when are they going to move on from Jeff Teague? Now, the Miami Heat have been scaring people. The Heat are back. They're they're moving up the charts. They're going up the standings. The Boston Celtics got really hot. They came, they cooled off. They came back down to earth. And Miami is getting in there. And so are the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets have had, I think, the second best record in the NBA since the All-Star break behind the Golden State Warriors. Think about that. Think about the fact that the Charlotte Hornets are one of the hottest teams in the league right now, okay? They're 7-3 they're, they're in their last uh, 10 games. They're certainly making you know waves. Jeremy Lin is almost doing his own little version of Lin's sanity down there. Al Jefferson has been a positive coming off of the bench. Kemba Walker is a force. I mean, all of a sudden, you've really got to get ready for Charlotte because if the playoffs started today, you'd have Dwayne Wade and the Miami Heat playing the Charlotte Hornets. Who would win that series? It might be a heck of a darn good series, and I wouldn't be too surprised if Charlotte comes out with the victory. So you got to think about some of those things going in, and you got to give some credit to the Charlotte Hornets. They really turned their season around, and this is a real sort of, you know, good for them because they had some atrocious years, and there was a lot of speculation as to how Michael Jordan was running the team and if he knew how to run the team. And, you know, to their credit, they've been uh, – They've really had a heck of a season. Boston has really cooled off, and I think it's it's got some injury issues. You know, they've been missing Jay Crowder. You know, he's a big part of their team. It's I, I still have faith in Boston. They're a dangerous team, but they did cool off when they got some injuries. And then after that, the rest of the Eastern Conference is like this weird little fight for the last two spots. You got Detroit and Indiana, who are actually locked into the seventh and eighth spot, but you got Chicago and Washington clawing their way in. Washington, I think, is out. Uh, the Wiz had a decent season, but a lot of injuries, and I still think there's a lot of st- – I really raise my eyebrow when I think about Randy Whitman as the coach. I think this might be his last year. However, they like him there in Washington. He might not go anywhere. Chicago – I mean, Chicago fell off a cliff. I mean, just the injury issues, bringing in Fred Hoiberg as the coach, um, you know, sending Joe Kim Noah to the bench and then having him get it. Everything about it was just a bit of a mess. It's, you know, they to- they absolutely had to take a step backwards in order to take a step forwards. Um, you know, you can sort of say, was Tom Thibodeau, you know, a good coach or a bad coach? Well, step number one is the team, as soon as you got rid of him, this team got worse. So it's tough to say those things. And I just, I, um... It's it's Chicago's really got to get themselves together. They've just had injury issues. You know, I, I think Pau Gasol's been playing out of his mind. I think Jimmy Butler's been playing out of his mind. But, uh, you know, you just it's it's tough when you get injuries. Jimmy Butler missed a chunk of the season. You know, Derek Rose has missed pieces of the season. It's just 
it's just tough. And so then you look at like Indiana and Detroit. You know, I like what Detroit's been doing. Stan Van Gundy's one of the few GM coaches who's actually does both of the jobs. And he, I think he does it pretty well. I like the trades he made at the trade deadline. And I think they're trending upward. I think this offseason, they're going to have a good offseason. I think Detroit's going to come in and really start some waves. And the season ended right now. You'd have Detroit and Toronto playing each other in the first round. And, you know, you got to talk about this when you say Toronto in a seven-game series. I could see Detroit really making some noise and making it tough for them. I mean, I want to believe that Toronto's ready to get out of that first round. But then again, I I don't want to label them as chokers. But, I mean, Paul Pierce single-handedly took them out the last two seasons. Um, The Pacers, the Pacers are definitely in the mix, if anything. I think they've got more of a chance to get into the playoffs than the Bulls or the Wizards. The Wizards, I think, are done. But definitely more so in the Bulls because I just – I have more faith – in those players and that coach, Frank Vogel, you know, Paul George, George Hill, these guys are good, good players. And I like how, um, you know, I don't know if they're going to beat the Cavaliers. I certainly don't think the Pacers will get out of the first round, but it's going to be, you know, nasty. They're like the Pistons. They're a dirty, gritty, hard put. Well, not dirty. They're gritty. They're physical. They're a team that's going to make you earn it. And uh, they will be tough outs, but they will get, they will definitely be bumped in the first round. Now, to shift to the Western Conference, we got the Golden State Warriors 68 and 7, the Spurs are 63 and 12, Thunder are 53 and 23. Then you get to you got the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the Trailblazers, the Mavericks and the Jazz. And then you've got the Houston Rockets who are a half a game behind the Jazz right now. So that's all a bit of a mix. Now, the thing I want to mention is the Grizzlies. So they're currently in the 5 spot and they're a game and a half in front of the Trailblazers, but I think their record is a product of the players who were playing earlier in the season who are not playing now. Most of their key players are hurt. Um, you know, Mark Gasol's done for the year. There's just been player after player after player who has gone down for that Grizzly team. And they went ahead and they traded away some of their key guys to get some future draft picks. So they're also kind of planning for the future. Now, they're, I certainly think they're going to make it to the playoffs because they're a good enough team and they've got a good enough record. But the team we're seeing on the court right now is not the team that got that record. And I think that you're going to see them slide down the standings to maybe six or seven uh, by the time the season ends. I don't see them getting out of the first round. They're certainly going to give it their best, but injuries has ripped apart that team this year. And it's just a shame because the Grizzlies are a, a great, great basketball team, great franchise, good fans, good players. And, you know, it's like the Thunder last year. They just deserve a little bit more, but sometimes injuries just sap your entire season. The Trailblazers are exciting because, you know, C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, I mean, those are the things that make that team fun to watch. Uh, And I certainly think, if anything, they might be swapping spots with the Grizzlies, and it'll put them in a position where you might have the Trailblazers playing the Clippers and the Grizzlies playing the Thunder in the first round. Now, the Mavericks and the Jazz have the exact same record. They're both one game under 500. they They're both locked into the 7-8 and eight spot. And really, the Mavericks, the Jazz, and the Houston Rockets are all sort of clawing at each other to try to get those last two playoff spots. One of them is going to be on the outside looking in. Um, I kind of think it's going to be Houston. I think that what we're looking at right now will be the outcome. I have very little faith in Houston's ability to actually put themselves together and get into the playoffs. They are a team that has had dysfunction from the very beginning of the season. To, to see them as almost the exact same team that went to the Western Conference Finals this year, it's mind-boggling to think how far they've fallen. You know, James Harden, I think, has had some issues connecting with teammates. I don't really know if he was in shape coming into the offseason. 
Um, they trade away Josh Smith. They bring Josh Smith back. Dwight Howard is probably looking to get out of there. I mean, then they fire Kevin McHale after like eight games or 10 games. Just a mess there in Houston. I don't have much faith in, you know, Ty Lawson. That was a big mistake on their part. They brought it. They traded uh, to get Ty Lawson. They end up cutting him. Ty Lawson was picked up by the Pacers now. Um, they brought Michael Beasley in from uh, China. He'd been playing in China. I, I actually kind of like Michael Beasley, but I think right now it's a little, it's a too little, too late scenario with the Houston Rockets. And um, Dallas is also sort of struggling. However, I like Dallas's components. You know, I like Dirk Nowitzki. I like Rick Carlisle as the coach. I like Darren Williams. Like, if anything, Mark Cuban's always going to make sure there's talent and competition on that team. And, uh, you know, I mean, I give them some credit. I think they will definitely squeak into the playoffs. And Utah is a team on the rise. So Utah and Dallas, I think, have the right chemistry going their way to keep them in playoff contention towards the end of the season, whereas I think Houston is a team where it's going to blow up in their face. I just see Houston continuing to lose more games and Dallas and Utah figuring out a way to scrape their ways into the playoffs. That's Those are my thoughts on that matter. I just... I think more of Mavericks and Utah, and Houston's just, they've just had too many darn problems. I think it's time to cash their chips in for this season and just start figuring out moves to make in the offseason and be ready for next year. It's just, it's how things are going. The season went the way its season went. You know, they've had J.B. Bickerstaff as an interim coach the entire year. It's, there's only so much sort of mending and fixing and improvement you can do, uh, you know, mid-season or during the season to try to get this team back on track. And in my opinion, you know, this was the biggest whiff on all the pundits. All the pundits were saying the Houston Rockets are a team that can go to the finals or a Houston Rockets are a team that can really, you know, scare the Golden State Warriors. And what this what this season proved is that is very, very, very far from the truth. And uh, we're all looking at each other, slapping our head. Uh, whoops. That's a, whoops. Uh-oh. So uh, that's the long and short of the Houston Rockets. Um I think that might be it for today. I went through a whole lot. I talked a lot about uh, NBA. I like talking about the NBA. Very excited. Um, let's see what we got on tonight. Tonight is Friday night. Friday night on ESPN. Uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time, 7 o'clock Central time. Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. Ooh, ooh, the night game on ESPN. Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors. Yeah, you want to watch that one. 10.30 on ESPN Eastern Standard Time. I'm in Texas, so I watch it at 9.30. I love that Central I love that central time. Get an hour up on everything. So you just you don't have to stay up super late to watch the West Coast games. It's the best. Um, anyway, that's the long and the short of it. Thanks for listening today. As always, I'm going to plug all my stuff. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. It's real easy. Email there. Just say hi. Go on Facebook. Find Sam's Sports Station. Like my Facebook page. Post on my Facebook page. Send stuff to my Facebook page. Or just mention my Facebook page and your Facebook post about sports. Get my street cred up, at least in the Facebook community. Tweet at me. My Twitter page is at Smithface Jones, that's my Twitter handle. That's not actually under Sam Sports. You got to find Sam Rosenberg. I just lumped it all in together because I didn't have a Twitter account, but I wanted to create one for the sports thing. I just created Sam Rosenberg. You'll find me there. Um, as always, if you're listening to me here, you know you can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and check out my radio show. My radio show every Saturday morning. That's tomorrow morning, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 9 Central, 8 Mountain, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. If you're listening in California, you're up that early. But I am on 6:10 a.m. 
in uh, Philadelphia. If you're in Philadelphia, turn to 610 AM. You will hear me on the radio. It's ESPN Radio. If you are not in the Philadelphia area, go online and go to 610amsports.com. 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 You can listen to the Sam Sports Show live, or you can go in the little drop-down menu under live and local. You'll see something that says Sam Sports Show. You click on it. You can hear all of my previous episodes uh, in podcast form. Listen to them on demand. Check it out. Also, go into my iTunes uh, podcast page. Give me a review. Reviews help my ratings. Give me a five star review. You know all the or listen. If you got a bad review, don't get, don't give me one. But give me reviews. This all of this stuff ups my game. You know, improves my circulation. I want more people to hear my sports stuff. I want to get it out there. I want to share my opinions. God dang it. Anyway. Guys, thank you so much for listening to, and gals, thank you so much for listening today. I love talking sports with everybody. I love uh, having everybody tune in and listen. Uh, I'll be back real soon, um, starting as we get closer to the playoffs, and we can talk and yak about that and uh, probably come back and talk some football as well. And if you are in this weekend, this weekend I'm going to be interviewing my brother Tom Rosenberg. We're going to be talking some Phillies baseball. It'll be my first baseball Sam Sports podcast. If you guys want a little baseball, you know, mix it up a little bit. We do all kinds of sports here. I'm not discriminating. I'm an equal opportunity sports talks guy. I'm an equal opportunity sports talk. Uh. All right, I'm done. I've said too much. Guys and gals, thank you for listening. I love you. Bye-bye.